Hello, hello, hello. I'm Kelly. This is only the show. With me is Tracy Cloud, and today we have Pocket Lint. And, hello. And uh, his name's Mark, and and we've known each other for a long time on various social media across several platforms now. Uh, and it's just really nice to get to talk uh, in person, um, especially uh after the uh, uh evangelist album that i visited again today because man that's that's probably my favorite one you're kind of evangelist tribute but uh oh, anyways yeah. uh okay i'm gonna turn this over to tracy cloud for just a few because she has been so kind to listen and make notes and, and uh, have questions prepared. So uh, go ahead, Tracy. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. Um, yes, hi, Mark. Nice to meet hi, you. Nice Welcome. I've really enjoyed your music. Very oh. intellectual, very art rock, very avant-garde. So um, kudos to you. Wonderful. I, wonderful. I try. You're amazing. Um, yes, I have some hopefully some good questions for you. Um, the first I kind of wanted to dive in. I started with your earliest work and worked my way back, but I wanted to so start. You off are the me. person who I've seen who's been going step by step through stuff on Bandcamp. Sweet. I really was wondering because it's really most people just engage with the stuff that you just released, and it's really rare. And I've noticed this week someone has been listening to it, and also noticing someone is listening to entire songs rather than skipping. Yeah. Pretty rare, right? So yes, I had no idea you were going to be doing this. That's fantastic. Thank you for listening and actually really giving it a go. Sorry, carry on. Yes. <laughs> of course. Yeah, no, I, I want to um, do you justice and, you know, get really as familiar through probably more than maybe like three fourths of your catalog. So um, yeah. I went back to the beginning and listened to C33, your latest release. Yeah. So I yeah. kind of like to start there. I did um, jot down... Um, you describe your release as an attempt to plot a course through the life of Oscar Wilde. And um, each track is accompanied by original, beautiful, incredible artwork. So I'd like for you to speak to our audience about your collaboration between the music and the art, if you could maybe start there with us. Yeah, um, definitely. So I've always envisaged this particular project as, well, maybe let's go back to the beginning. So. I wrote the main melody for this and I, I wrote the kind of the theme that you hear in the very first piece of music, which is now called Something with Strawberries. I wrote that when I was 17, which is longer ago than I would care to remember, um, for part of my A-level music, which is the higher level uh, qualification, but you, you do at high school. So it's the one you do 16 to 18 in the UK. And I've always had a mind to, to do something with that. I kind of, I liked it. But I've always played in bands um, and I'm a guitarist by nature. And it was written really for strings. And it, I had to write an orchestral piece, so I wrote that. Uh, and it was always called C33, you know, Oscar Wilde's prison cell. But about 2014, 15, maybe I started working on it. And I originally saw it almost as um, a guitar orchestra. So I actually have a version somewhere where every single part is played by different guitars. I was kind of getting the guitars to do, almost sit like an orchestra. So I had a series of guitars sitting in one place, 
where the strings would be. And I had a, so I, I plotted it sonically <laughs> from left to right, like wow. an orchestra. And whilst it was a really interesting conceptual idea, listenable <laughs> the tonal palette was very flat and um i i must have started this piece about 10 times and deleted the whole thing oh. and i always had in mind that i would get accompanying artwork and it varied in in what it would be because the whole structure of the the project varied but <clears throat> it was one of those classic creative moments so earlier while I was finishing off my previous album gallery you know I think like a lot of us when we write I was thinking what do I do next so when gallery is finished I need to have a project ready to go I need to to get moving on something and I had a couple of ideas playing around my head but I thought okay well what I'd like to do is actually go back and properly do C33 I'm under no illusion people are going to buy it because it's not popular. There's no single that I can kind of put out that people are going to expect. But it means something to me. And I've always had this idea that it, it needed accompanying artwork, at least to try and explain it and contextualise it a little bit. And also because I think it's an art project, ultimately. Most of my music I would describe as noir, progressive pop. You know, it's, it's pop music. They're short songs. I don't go for the full eight-minute opus. I tend to try and say what I want to say in almost that 60s psychedelic way of let's get lots of concepts, shove them in a three-minute pop song and, and be done. <laughs> and this isn't that. They're not songs as such, I don't think. They are something else. And I was thinking, I think it was around April, May time, and the artist who did the work had just released a series of postcards. And I liked the look of a couple of them. So bought them um, because, you know, I, I'm a strong believer that if you like art in the same way as you like music, you ought to buy it. Yes. You know, most of us are doing this for love. That's not to say that I, I do not think that people are absolutely fine just listening to my music. Just listening is great. But, you know, I think there is a lot to be said for if, if like me, you're in a position where you can afford to spend eight quid on some postcards of an artist whose work you like, go and do it. So I bought them. And they, they came home and I looked at them and I looked at them again. And I kind of, over the course of about 20 minutes, the idea was like, I think I found the artist I want for C33. Um, and then I kind of contacted the girl who'd done it. It was like, you know, we know each other. She had also brought the, bought the Silkerville release when it came out, Kelly, the one you mentioned earlier. Oh. And... Um, so I kind of knew she knew who I was because she bought my music. I was like, would you be interested? And she was like, well, can you tell me more about the project? You know, I want to really know what it's about. Um, and I made, I'm a bit of a control freak, like many of us, I think, if we were involved in the creative process. And I made a conscious decision that if I were going to work collaboratively with someone, I had to do that Bowie thing of why have you asked this person in You've asked this person in because they have expertise that you don't have. Therefore, you cannot control what they do. Either you work with someone or you don't. So I outlined my vision for what it would be. And, you know, artists have a style. So if you don't like the style that they're going to work in, don't ask them to work with you, right? Um, and I, I, I talked to her and tentatively, she was like, yeah, I'll have a look. 
And by the end of the day, she was obviously excited because she'd sent some of the artwork across immediately. Oh. And this being a project that, you know, has dragged, let's be honest. If I if I start if I wrote the first part of this in the 1990s and I started work on it in 2014 again, then you know, getting it over the finishing line was hard. And I found I'd got two pieces pretty much written. But her enthusiasm really was the kickstart to get the whole thing done. It was like, okay, I now actually have someone to whom I'm responsible for. Because she's yeah. produced the artwork and I haven't finished the bloody music yet. So I better get that done. And, and that was really, really powerful for me. And it was also a really good lesson because I played in bands and all bands have a dictator, right? And I was probably the dictator. I thought I was incredibly democratic and kind and nice. But looking back, I was the difficult, annoying one in, in my band. I, I was the guy who was like, right, <laughs> everyone, we need to do this. Um, and so it's a different relationship, right? It's a, it's a meeting of equals. Whereas what tends to happen, or in my experience of bands tends to happen, is you start off equal, but it ends up with the classic Orwellian some are more equal than others in terms of whose voice gets yeah. heard and also in terms of who does the work. I mean, you know. What's her name? Her name is Vicky May Giroux. She's based in, in Paris. And actually, amazingly, her artwork is going to be appearing at Paris Fashion Week oh, next wow. week, um, which is fantastic for her. So, yeah, she's a, She's become a friend, actually, um, and she came to the launch that we did in London, which was fantastic, and we displayed her work all over the venue um, in big blown-up posters, and it was just a really, a really fruitful collaboration because it was a true collaboration. I had no control over what she was producing and was actually comfortable enough to take a back seat in that. But like, this is your vision. This is my vision. Most of the time, those two things marry perfectly. And when they don't, that's also fine. You know, that's what it's supposed to be. In the same way as if I was jamming with someone, I like to think I wouldn't stop them midway through and go, you're playing the wrong note. Or you're not playing what I think you should play. If I were playing that part, I would be doing this. And I think for me, that was a really important lesson to learn. And um, to just take a bit of a not to be a backseat driver, to actually just get out of the car and let the person get to their destination and then view the result. Um, so it, it, it was fantastic. It, it's something that I've never done before. I'm not even sure if I'll ever get to repeat it because, you know, that was a quite unique project that I felt the visuals were necessary to make sense of the narrative or at least to add to it. Um, and okay. that, I guess, is very prog rock. Oh, the... Everything about the look of it is is fantastic. Um, I, I forgot I was going to ask you. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> no problem. That's caught up in the beautiful art. No, it's yeah. It, I really appreciate how you, um, with each of your songs throughout your whole catalog, how you give the listener, the audience, the explanation of backstory behind the song. It helped me form a connection um, that I might not have otherwise been able to make because. Um, of unknown subject matter um, you know I read your stories so I was like okay well I'm gonna give this one a listen and see and it really kind of helped me focus on what you were trying to say you really have an amazing gift for conveying your intentions um, with your art well, 
Could you maybe speak to us a little bit about that? Because I know that's a movement. I did a little homework on you. I know you're um, a big intentionalist. So maybe just explain yeah. to our audience what that means with your art. Yeah, so um, it, it briefly, intentism is the argument. You know, you've got the whole postmodern school, and I'm not completely against postmodernism. I like lots of aspects of it. That idea that once an artwork is created, you no longer have control over. And I subscribe partially to that. The bit where me and postmodernism fall out, if you like, is that I don't think, I have no problem with someone interpreting my music and hearing something completely different in it. That is their opinion. I don't think, however, that those two things mean that my intent isn't valid equally. And, and I see sometimes with stuff like Roland Barthes and the death of the author, this idea that your intention is no longer valid. And I think it's a semantic detail, but yeah, I, I've i taken part in kind of intentist conferences and I'm quite close to the founder who, who was an old colleague. We used to work together and argue about art and music. His dad was a jazz singer, he's a jazz singer and he's a painter. And we would have these great arguments and kind of debates. I'm a teacher in the staff room and um, yeah, we, you know, it was very much his theory, but I was like, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of this. I'm quite happy to be kind of along for this. I, I I tend to agree with it. And I think there is an advantage to being absolutely silent. You know, the kind of the new order approach of no interviews, nothing. I personally, Tracy, tend to the view like you that I want some context of where it's come from. You know, if I'm reading a poem, for example, knowing when it was written, what the person was living through at the time, to me, adds extra depth and understanding that I might not otherwise get. That's not to say it wouldn't be a good poem without that knowledge, but for me personally, I get more from it. And so I like to add that to my work. I expect probably 80% of people don't read it, and that's fine. But it's there for if people will do want to dive deeper. Also, to be perfectly honest, I find it a really good way of cataloging what I was thinking. You know, I go back and look at some of the stuff because I've been doing this now for four years as a solo artist. And I'm like, oh, is that what I was thinking when I wrote that? Okay. And also sometimes, you know, I I don't know, I don't think you listened to Pebbles, which was quite an odd release for me. But I re realized recently, um, that Pebbles was, I thought Pebbles was about me picking up a pebble on the beach in Greece and having this idea that, isn't it amazing if you look at all the lines on a pebble and if you blew this up to like a, a six by six painting, it would look like a piece of abstract expressionist art. The lines on the painting would look like that. Wouldn't it be amazing to do music that took that idea of abstraction and overlying lines and, and did that so that actually I'd forgotten about that I accompanied that with individual paintings as well um but then I improvised the whole thing so I refused to allow myself to overdub anything on purpose. and all the lyrics were improvised which is very unusual for me because I'm a strong planner and theorizer on what I'm doing so you know I normally do tons of research and get almost a vocab bank of words that I'm going to use and I I robbed myself of that on pebbles and um, I realized about a, about six months ago, 
I listened to it for the first time in a year since it had been released. I was like, oh God, this is about my mum dying. Oh, my mum was in hospital dying while I was recording it. So of course it's going to have influenced me. And I was lying to myself, I suppose, that I'd got this, this other thing. I was listening to it and so many of the words could be taken in two ways. You know, ICU could be intensive care unit. It could be ICU. But I'm singing it repeatedly in one song and it's like, Right, yeah, this wasn't about what you thought it was about. This is not about pebbles that you picked up on a beach. This is about something completely different. Um, and I think often revealing my the intention that I thought I was having, maybe later I reflect and go, that's actually not what you were doing, is it? But maybe it was the way that you were able to motivate yourself to do it. And that's, I think that's valid. That's when you can fix it in the remix. You know, go back and visit it. And, you know, how you were saying uh, about how you describe your sound. Uh, you know, some music flows from an urban environment. Some music flows from the dirt. Some music has a California vibe. Mm. To me, your music always consistently, I mean, even though it's super varied, it's like it flows from an art gallery. Can you... Uh, talk about maybe growing up in art or is this a new thing since i mean talk about that that's uh i mean firstly thank you um i've always liked art um my parents had art on the walls and i i grew up with it my one of my favorite family friends when i was a kid was a lecturer in fashion and and textiles and, and art so I was around it, but I was rubbish at art at school. You know, my my school report when I was 14 says, Mark applies paint crudely and cannot draw. Right. <laughs> For those no, two, it's okay. <laughs> no American softening in this. This this is like this person has come straight from Germany. <laughs> and it's just like, there's no like, so Mark is a really nice presence in class. Yeah, and try. He can't do shit. <laughs> Waste of money on art lessons. Um, yes. And <laughs> Choose I'm, another part. I I started to really fall in love with art. Actually, again, related to Oscar Wilde, I suppose. Well, after I first read Wilde and was like, okay, so art's a big thing for him and he's now my hero because I'm 15 and pretentious. So maybe I should like educate myself on art. And I I've always been interested in it. But certainly if you went back and listened to my old band's music, I would say my old band's music was storytelling. It was that very classic kinks, jam, blur, madness school of write stories about characters. Um, and literature was my main creative driver. It was very literary based and it was very storytelling based. And I think that's, I, I agree with you. My work now is very visually inspired be that film or art, it's something that comes from a visual medium, not a storytelling medium. And I'm not really interested in telling stories. What I'm interested in doing is with sound, placing you into a sense of place for a moment. And I don't feel like I need to explain how you got there or why you're there, but what I wanna do is make you feel that you are somewhere. So I think that is more conceptual. I used to tell stories and I don't think I do anymore. And I'm I'm very lucky. I've 
been around lots of people who are far brighter than me and who are far better at art and who've been able to push me in directions. And I've, I've seen things and, you know, I am the sort of person who does for fun, go to art galleries and spend time staring at, at paintings and, you know, um, and that is something that's developed as I've got older. Um, I no longer read very much, actually. I was a huge reader when I was younger, up until really probably my mid thirties, at which point that medium shifted to this, to more film and more art. And I'm not really sure why or how, but I'm fine with that. I'm sure at some point in my life, it will drift again. But at the moment, you've kind of, you've caught me at the moment where it, it's really art and film that massively inspires my writing and and informs it. Um, but I have no kind of art training. I have no art study beyond the fact I, I'm interested in it. I watch programs on it. I kind of, as much as I say I don't read, I read about art. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. I, I take an interest in it and it inspires me. Um, so in that way, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And, you know, look, if, if people view what I do as inspired by art and kind of belonging in a gallery, I'm thrilled because mm. that's, you said earlier, Tracy, it, it's art rock. Yeah, I mean, the bands I love are art rock. So, you know, from Sid Barrett to to kind of Talking Heads, it, it's all that side of music that I'm still regularly inspired by. Um, that's the things that kind of gets my brain excited. There's that more conceptual approach to music these days rather than the more story writing approach that I was definitely interested in as a kid. Yeah. What do you got, Tracy? I know you got some questions. I do have some more. I'm I'm a nerd, so I nerded out. Um, yeah, so this was kind of twofold. Um, I shared this with Kelly. I just happened to stumble upon a wonderful live performance that you did about a year ago for a podcast. And um, the first song that you opened with, the Stephanie song, was the first one that I'd listened to because that was yeah. the first song I saw in your catalog. So, you know, being someone who is in love with London, you know, I I, I felt that in your song for sure. You know, I got the whole Gershwin um, aspect of it and just really, really, I could feel that. And so the question is, you know, someone who is in love with your city has explored it extensively solo a couple of times and um, just wondered, you know, how does living in such a magical, awesome place, how does that inspire and influence your work and how does that come through um, in your work other than, you know, this the song that I related to of, of where you're from? Yeah, uh, well, I'm, I'm not from London, I'm a northerner actually, um, but I've lived here now since I was on and off since I was 19, so that's part of 26 years. Well, yeah. um, and Stepney, I live in Stepney, right? So it's my it's my neck of the woods. I've lived here for I've lived in the East End since two thousand and two, um, and you know I, I'm kind of very tongue in cheek. Manhattan by Gershwin is obviously one of the greatest. Well, Rhapsody in Blue as well. Some of the greatest music that's ever been written, in my opinion. For sure. Stephanie is the very, it's the first song I recorded and it's the first song you listen to, but it's also the first song I wrote as a solo artist. Um, and it was this freedom of, I don't have to write for a band that's going to have to play live. No one ever has to play this stuff, which 
creates its own problems when I then decide to play live. Um, <laughs> it's it was that freedom. I'm I'm a guitar player who is a mediocre pianist at best, right? Um, I mean, I'm getting better because I'm doing it so often, and I write a lot on piano now, which is very different. Although, actually, I've written four songs for my new album, and I've written them all on guitar. So it might be the return of the guitar coming in a big way. <laughs> Stepney has this, you know, if you hear it mentioned in songs, it's like in the the Stones um, play with fire. You get your kicks in in Stepney, not in Knightsbridge anymore. It's got a down, depressing reputation. It's poor it's always been a poor area um it's always been a massive center of immigration it's near the river but it's not at the river um it's on the outskirts of the proper city um and i think of it you know if you see it mentioned in film or literature it's normally associated with poverty crime and a kind of english gothic I think English Gothic is quite unique. It, it, it's this horror that haunts the island. And it's not, you know, horror film horror. It's a psychological, almost depressing grey that weighs down. And so that's why there's so much rain noise in Stepney. I just stuck, I, I didn't know what I was doing. And I think that's very often the best way. I just took a microphone out of my window and recorded cars driving past in the rain and just played them on a fader, bringing them in and out live. Um, I, I really do think actually very often not, it's one of the reasons I tend to try and find new equipment to use for each recording, because not knowing what I'm doing with it makes me do something that I'd never thought of doing, because I don't know what I am doing. And by the time I've mastered something, or at least not mastered it, because you need years to master anything, but got my head around how it works, I'm not going to make those accidents anymore and find things. So I wrote Stepney back at my mum's house one Christmas, and that kind of lurching, wonky, broken thing. And the, the beginning, I actually sat down to, to play it, and the beginning came out by mistake. So I wrote the whole sort of first 40 seconds, just improvised. As I was sat down, I was like, actually, that was quite good. Maybe I'll keep that bit in. Um. And I didn't really know how to correct the recording. So I was a total novice. So the whole thing was just done wholesale. I overdubbed a couple of bits. When I got it back to London, I put loads of guitars over it because that's my comfort zone. And was then like, do you know what? Actually, they don't really need to be there. Like strip off the guitars, leave it as it is. Um, and then this sort of sing talking um, which I do quite a lot, I think, um, over the top of it. Trying to paint, again, a picture of a dark, cold London, kind of like the day today, February kind of day, this this drizzly, this autumnal spring, winter London feel. Um, and yeah, kind of sarcastically, you know, if Gershwin were based in the East End of London, what might he have written as a, as a paean to, to poor old neglected Stepney. So I kind of did it partly for fun and also because, you know, I, I have a real affection for this place. I've lived here for, for years. And, and you're right, London is magical. I mean, you know, we all complain about the place we live in, but I have chosen to live here now for more than, far more than half of my life. I, you know, there's lots of problems with London, 
and socially there's lots of problems that London creates for the rest of the country but um I I love it it's home you know it's, it's, I felt I feel more at home here than I ever did in either of the two areas that I grew up um it's where I've chosen to be as opposed to where you know my parents have moved me so yeah it's um yeah it, it's a magical city and for me the magic is linked to the availability of opportunity so you know yeah i like art well there's quite a lot of art in london that you can go and look at and if if you can't find things that interest you in london you're looking in the wrong place although that said the heartbreaking demise of the guitar district in london is tragic when i first moved to london there was a brilliant street that had been there since the 50s selling guitars it was where all of the music producers lived above Tim Pan Alley. There was a rehearsal room mm. around the back. Mm. And it was just, to a kid from the countryside, it was heaven. I mean, I moved to London to play guitar. So I moved to London to go to a, a guitar school for the Guitar Institute. And on my first day, like one of the other students was like, have you ever been to Denmark Street? I'm going to go there after. I was like, what is Denmark Street? Um, and... You know, it was that it was that bit like in in lots of films where someone opens a door on a world that you didn't know existed. Like, so many guitars. Oh my god. You know, like many guitarists, I used to go and just stare in the window at the car form. Like I can never afford the preciouses, but we must look at them. Um and so I yeah, I mean, you know, cities change. I think it's fairly tragic that, that that sort of stuff has gone but there's still enough to keep me interested and, and to keep me here for a little while longer at least who knows what the future holds but I think Stepney is my only direct London song I think in this band there were others before um, actually probably it's everywhere isn't it wherever you are seeps into everything you do create you can't really escape it but. I, I was going to say I, I tend to I would uh, disagree with you on that last <laughs> statement because I think you make me think about London uh, a little bit. You definitely did on that video uh, for sure. Uh, the one Which that one? the the one that Tracy was talking about. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, and I liked uh, Carousel. Uh, yeah. What was what was uh, the thing you're using? Um, on your keyboard, what is that called? That was, um, you know, Earthquaker Devices, guitar pedal manufacturer from Akron. Uh, <laughs> it's one of their, it's their Avalanche Run pedal, which I think is one of the greatest guitar pedals. Certainly one of my favorites that I own. Um, so I was just using that to mess with the fabric of time because uh, it has this wonderful echo feature, but it's almost analog in its responses that you turn it and it literally twists itself inside out almost and I, I loved that effect and I'm very conscious that I'm not John Martin right I can't sit with an acoustic guitar and make it interesting so I want to do things that like it's really hard to play my stuff live as a solo artist yeah but I want to do things that add the type of colors that I would do if I were recording it normally, but I want to do those in a framework 
that I can do on, on my own. So, you know, I've thought about using drum machines and things. For me, that's not what I want to do live. I do want mm. that fear of the nakedness of just me and a piano or me and a guitar, but I'm going to abuse the sounds by putting them through as many processes as I can to get something that I'm happy with. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was it was that pedal. And Carousel was interesting because I wrote that in the middle of the COVID lockdown. Um, and it was the thing written, that, our, that EP was written directly before Silkerville. And it was, I couldn't travel. I was actually locked down because of an illness that I have for six months. So I didn't leave my flat for six months. And so I wrote EP3 about Venice and Paris, uh, sorry, Vienna and Paris. And they're both, you know, famous cities of art and cities of light. And it was this idea that I would, and in kind of early 20th century culture, they are the two leading lights. Later, New York kind of takes over as the city of culture. But in the very earliest part of that 20th century, they're the two art culture capitals of the world. And so I did an EP inspired by those two cities. And mm. in Vienna, there is the famous park that you see in the film, The Third Man. Um, and there's a carousel. And I, I love carousels. And I, I, I love the moving parts, that, that kind of mechanical element. I don't know. It's kind of a dream sequence. But that idea that those continually moving parts is almost like looking into a kaleidoscope. And, you know, it's a bit of deep British psychedelia, really. Oh, look at the kaleidoscope. It's magic. And, you know, there's that whole kind of... Yeah, man. ...element to it. And... Up on the psychedelics, for sure. And what's quite interesting, and I... I, I mean, I think, I'm sure I've said this before somewhere, but British psychedelia is, is different from that that happens in kind of L.A. and San Francisco. British psychedelia is very located in a return to childhood and a retreat to children's stories. And those kind of stories that have elements of magic and elements of wonder. And, you know, Alice in Wonderland, The Hobbit, um, the, 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 the Box of Delights, all of that sort of late 19th, early 20th century children's literature, you see as a kind of, a repeating motif in all of those British psych bands, you know, Floyd, Soft Machine, it's kind of everywhere in it. And so this was my attempt to kind of do something like that, but in a slightly synthier way. Um, but when you actually rob it down and, and kind of just remove everything else, I think it's also messing around in the Dorian mode. So or, I'm a bad pianist, right? So everything is just the white notes, but starting on D. Okay. So, and, and if you if you're pretentious like me, you can theorize about the fact that what you're actually doing is not a really bad pianist. They're just experimenting with medieval music um, <laughs> by, by only using modes, and then you can pretend anything. Um, so that's kind of what I did for that one. It was, yeah, I think it was the last song written for that EP, um, and I, I Carousel is a song I, I really quite like. And it's got that whole slightly Germanic, you know, that almost Brecht and Vile thing, um, like Mac the Knife. It, it's just got that, I was trying to capture that whole Middle European, early 
early 20th century free rock and roll feeling mixed with all of that psychedelic nonsense that I, I love as well. And I think quite a lot of the time, you know, I'm trying to do one thing. The end result might be something completely different, but that's fine as well. You know, it's the attempt to marry these weird things together that for me is the exciting thing. And, you know, it might not get where, to where I want to go. It might go in a different direction, but that's fine. That's that's great for me. You know, yeah. <laughs> if, it's, if it's fun to do, then it's good. Hey, if it's fun to do, then it's good. I can't think of a better note to say goodbye on. First, before we say goodbye, though, we got one minute left before the recording shuts off. Are you, Threads, Blue Sky, where are you at? Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Blue Sky. I'm on, um, I think that's it, actually. Okay. <laughs> Send me those links if you don't mind. I'll put them in the show notes. Amazing. You're a superstar. Uh, excellent. Thank you thank so you much. Right. Tracy, oh, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank Tracy, you. thank you very much for, for listening. And, and I'm sorry my answers are so bloody long. You probably didn't get to... I enjoyed it immensely. It was great. It was so wonderful to speak with you today. Oh, thank you. And if you come to London, say hello. Hope to come back one day. I love it. I'm, I'm, always, I'm always knocking around. So. Awesome. Thanks. Awesome. Well, it was great to finally talk to you, Mark. We'll, yeah, we'll likewise, catch up Kathy. again soon. When you come out I with a new so. release, uh, come back on. All right, brilliant. That'd be that'd be brilliant. Thank you okay. very much. All, All right. right, you take care. All have right. a great day. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. -bye.